Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, the place where we dive deep into the minds of incredibly talented and creative individuals and try to unravel the mysteries behind their inspirations. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Marshall is on assignment investigating shampoo viscosity, but joining me on this fantastic journey is the uncanny co-host of True Fiction, Norbert Yates. How's it going tonight, Norbert? I'm weathering a storm. Weathering a storm. I heard Literal. there was I heard there was one coming your way. Yeah. I'm navigating the winds and the rain and the lightning and so but all's good so far. You know, we were told that it was going to get pretty nasty last night, and apparently it passed us by, which I'm thankful for. After we had the last one that ripped out trees and shut electricity down for three or four days, tonight our guest is a published author and artist who not only does his graphics for other people's books, but he also does graphics for his own books. True Fiction welcomes K.J. Eldridge to the show. Thanks for coming hey. on. How are things? No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm just pretty excited about this. Good. Well, we had a hard time connecting. I should be more accessible. That's part of my marketing strategy is to be really hard to find. Yes. <laughs> Keeps the mystique going. That's uh, what was it? William Gibson. That was one of his books. The branding was like, you keep it so down and you have, people have to look for it. And they have to want it. And that's what makes it. If I did that, I think only my mom would find it. I always felt that theory was a little lacking. I guess if it worked for William, but I can't see that working for me. No. <laughs> I've enjoyed reading your books. I like Argonautica. That's really fun. What I think is interesting, and I know that these are written, they're not, it's not all you, but like Wolverine, I really like that story. I like the art too. And am I saying that right, Wolvern? Wolvern, I, I live in the South and I've sold it to a lot of people and it gets a lot of crazy pronunciations, but <laughs> the standard one is Wolvern and all roads lead to hell. So to make it real scary sounding. Once again, I know that you didn't author Wolvern. No, that's uh, Chris Gaynor. It's kind of cool how it started. We were both in the military, kind of like best friends growing up and everything. We always wanted to do something together. Came back after the military. He was writing a movie script about vampires. And we lived in Augusta, Georgia at the time. And I told him, I was like, man, nobody's ever going to make a movie in Georgia. What are you talking about? <laughs> I nailed that one. But uh, <laughs> right. when I, I said, I used to draw back in high school. Why don't we turn it into a comic book? And I said, and everyone's doing vampires. Let's do werewolves. I'm taking credit for that. The werewolf part. It's a werewolf story set in the old West. So. He'll probably oh, kill yeah. me because I, I took credit for that part. But uh, so we kind of got together. We lived in the same apartment for a couple of years and it was like a working studio between me and him. And that was the first real comic book that I ever drew. And, and we just had a blast doing. We learned so much about making comics. Yeah. I mean, you got to wear a lot of hats just to do that. And then publishing, just everything. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. It was a blast to do and it's continuing. We're still working on stories set in the future because it it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing the next thing that comes out. I'm going to ask real quick, because the one thing 
that I'm really interested in is uh, Tree Flower. I've seen the cover. I love the cover. Yep. <laughs> and I really like the way that you did your trees. You oh, have an you. interesting way to do the text. It really has a certain feel. Uh, looks like maybe you're using some watercolor. That is all the color in it is actually, it's all done on Photoshop. The color part portion, it's drawn traditionally, pencil, ink, all that stuff. Uh, it's the book I'm actually currently working on now. Started off as a marriage exercise. My wife wanted to see what it was like to be part of the creative process, to step into, just kind of see what I did. And she wrote a fantastic story. And another situation where, hey, I can draw that. And so I've been drawing it for the last couple of years. Like it's kind of behind the scenes. And now it's the main thing I'm working on because it, it's got to come out. It's got to come out at this point. But I had kind of a setback, like kind of lost quite a bit of time in this last year. I won't go too much into that, but it, yeah. I got diagnosed and came back. It's recovered from cancer. I'm back in the saddle again, drawing like full time, but we're back on track with that. And yeah, it's a story that's kind of in the world of the novel series that I write called The Last Nights. I'm going to plug everything while I go. Yeah, do it, man. Um, do it. It's a big fantasy epic kind of thing, but this it's set in that world. It, I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis of it. I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, <laughs> but it follows this military group. They conquer other nations. It's a group of ships that they land on this island that they're going to use as a staging area for expansion into a larger realm. And the main character is a, a land surveyor that's part of the military. He doesn't really know what he wants to do in life. He's just trying to find himself and... As he explores this island, because they want to build an infrastructure, all that stuff, he starts encountering the beings that live on this island. And one of them is a character that we're going to call Tree Flower for right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't want to go too far into it because I'll probably get beat up. <laughs> but uh, it, is a, it is one of the most amazing things I've ever had a chance to work on. There's a lot of love, a lot of really the journey of making this book should be a book in itself because I'm a control freak when it comes to storytelling. And I had to give a lot of concessions to my wife because I, I, every time she would write something, I would try to take over and do it my way. And she was like, that sounds a lot like the last nights, what you're doing right there. She said, that's not what I want. I want my voice in this. And I would have to back off. And eventually we figured out a system and it was intense at the beginning. Like any collaborative relationship can be tough because everybody takes ownership over whatever they're working on. And a lot of comics are done that way. There's a writer, there's an artist, there's a colorist, there's an editor sometimes, and everybody takes their piece. But with this book, it's just me and her, and she is the captain of the ship on this one. <laughs> and I love it because I had to get it through my thick skull that there's other ways to do things besides the way that I want to see them done. And it was neat when I gave into that to, oh, wait a minute, this is really cool. Why am I fighting against this? And it was more like my own pride and ego getting in the way. And then once I got that, now I still stay on my ground once in a while. I'm not saying I, she gets <laughs> everything, but now we've got a great relationship on it. It's fun. I show her the pages, the pencil pages I work on every day. And she's okay, that'll work. That'll work. Change this, change that. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and it's a pretty cool process and I'll uh, 
I'll let you see some of it. I'll send some a little sneak peeks if you want to see what I got so far. But we would love that. It is such a leap of my own art. Like, I'm a decent artist, but this is turning me into a like I think a good artist at some point. Like I'm learning storytelling, just pushing myself in a lot of different areas that I never had to before. And we're going to mention your website probably a couple more times, but to our listeners, you need to go to kjeldridgeworld.com forward slash tree flower because there is something very unique about this image and I don't know if everybody will get it but it took me a long time I was just appreciating basically the subtlety of this the way that you painted it and photoshop that makes a lot of sense I recognize your pin strokes from your your other books but you seem to have a lighter hand in this at least in this tree but there's more to it and I think oh my gosh that is that's really amazing so I hope everybody else can look at this. It's really beautiful, that that image. I could definitely see this image just as a poster, with or without the uh, the text. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. That was, a lot of it was her design, and she just told me what she wanted, and I put my input in. And it, and the coloring on it is really, is me kind of going through the learning curve of coloring, because I'm not a natural colorist i'm that's i'm just as we go and eventually when the book comes out you'll see it i'll send like i said i'll send you some test pages of some of the coloring that i've already done on it to kind of do color testing and you can see where we're at with it but there is a watercolor element that's something that she wanted i like that too i think it really works for a fantasy universe i think it, it is a lighter touch because if you look at the wolverine book when me and Chris worked on the Wolverine book, we said we wanted to make this a heavy metal song come to life. And it's violent and it's heavy and gritty and grimy. And with the tree flower, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like you. we wanted to bring like a Miyazaki, yes. Joe Hishoshi, I forgot, I can't say his name, but the gentleman that always does Miyazaki's soundtracks, I wanted oh. that, that feel to that music. And like, as far as like visually, so... A lot of the stuff is set to a music or to a visual vibe to it. Absolutely. And the, the Wolverine to me almost looks like you had charcoal and just were digging into the paper. It was like really scrawled into there. Not there's far a little off. Bit of, there's a little bit of lighter hand in Argonautica. See the thing I love, and maybe you can do this. I don't want to give you more work, but in yeah. what you did in, in, Argonautica, maybe you can do it in tree flower because you gave a little bit of background of the story in the back and you gave the characters and stuff. I always love that. I love to find out more about how somebody's created this, why they created it, the characters. You threw in there, you threw Iron Man in there. That was fun. It was a lot of, it was a really fun read. Yeah, the Argonautica, and that is my kind of retelling of the Jason and the Argonauts myths with sort of a manga comedy feel to it it really came out because i artistically the approach i took was i wanted something to do on the side that i wasn't gonna fret over too much so i set myself a three hour time limit of drawing from first pencil to last ink on the page i wasn't allowed to go over three hours on any page so wow. and for the most part i kept that like uh, it was just it was really just because I want to do something lighter because Wolverine is so heavy. The last nights can be heavy. The tree flower book is 
it's painstaking. I'm pushing myself. With Argonautica, I was like, I'm going to have some fun. I wrote the script a long, a, a long time ago and edited it since then. I've, it's part of a big giant saga that I'm, I, I never write anything short. It's always, <laughs> I have delusions of a hundred issue run on everything. So I just was like, I'm just going to start working on this. Then the pandemic hit. And I think everyone, no matter who you are, was a little bit affected by the pandemic. So okay. that was kind of the thing I worked on during the pandemic because it was fun and I could kind of do it really fast and I got better as it went and just, so that's where that artistically that came from. And I really wanted to push a more cartoony manga vibe to the art because I do enjoy anime. I love manga on top of Western comics and everything. I like everything. So yeah, I just really wanted to see what I could do and that taught me how to draw with a little more fluidity with my characters kind of open up the space a little bit, especially towards the end of the Argonautica, kind of working with the backgrounds and showing like a better setting than I, maybe I did on some of the Wolverine stuff. And all of it works together to make me a better artist. That's Argonautica. And then there's way more of that coming. I've oh, written cool. about probably 700 pages worth of script for that thing. And it gets better as it goes, I think. Like, I'm more excited about the stuff that happens 700 pages from now than what I drew. So if you enjoy the first volume of Argonautica, you'll really like what's coming. So it takes everything and, like, cranks it to 11. Final tab. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, I looked at some of your stuff, and I was wondering, do you have a core set of influencers. I have this theory that, and I've said it on the podcast many times that a lot of creative artistic influences gets baked in us fairly early. Oh yeah. Around teenage years or so. And I, I have a couple that are baked into me that was early. I wondered if you had any influences that were early or was it later or was it outside of the medium of comics that really influenced you? Who informs your choices now in terms of how you think? Who's the formative influences on you? I'm with you on the foundational inspiration kind of thing. Like most people take whatever they discovered around 12 or 13 years old, and that kind of informs what they like in a lot of cases for the rest of their life. I'm no different on that. I discovered Tolkien around that time. Dragon Lance, so that kind of informed and Stephen King. I kind of informed my fantasy writing approach to things, and then artistically, I was right there for when the image revolution happened, when all those the star artists left Marvel and created Image Comics, like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson. Those guys. There is a lot of the image founders in my work, and the foundation of it, like the energy of it the independence, I guess, of it, those will always stay with me. And then I guess the manga side of things, I mean, I learned about Dragon Ball Z pretty early on and Toriyama's artwork just fascinated me. I thought it was really cool and it was so lively and just energetic and fun. So I wanted to always put something that some of that into it. Writing wise, like later on, I had discovered like probably like Joe Abercrombie. He's a fantasy author that's kind of funny as well, writes with a, like a lot of sarcasm, which I 
find refreshing George R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones, like all the very mainstream fantasy guys. Stephen King has always just been there. Like he's just the Dark Tower series gave me the idea that one book series doesn't have to encompass your entire story. It can be your entire life's work can all connect. So all of my books, everything I write and draw, at least independently, like including Tree Flower, Last Night's, Argonautica, Wolverine, it is all connected. And right now it's difficult to see some of the strands, how they connect, but by the time I'm about 95 years old and it all comes together and you guys, you'll be like, oh, I see what he was doing there. It's pretty cool. And just all that kind of stuff. So I've been influenced by Marvel and DC Comics, just those big giant universes. Garth Ennis, the writer, wrote Preacher, a lot of Hellblazer. That The Boys. The Boys, yeah. But the reading Preacher the first time let me know that you can make jokes like profanity and jokes and comics and you can be religious and it's a good story. Just all those different things. Just there's so many Jeff Smith with bone. Like he, he put that whole series out himself in black and white. It's so awesome to me. And Terry Moore with Strangers in Paradise. It doesn't have to be a superhero book. It can be more of a slice of life and you can talk about your feelings and things like that. There's, there's this influence is like hitting you from all aspects, all parts of my life. Like I'm sure you guys are the same way, but it all builds on each other. It's fascinating to me what you said, because if I look at your work, I feel, and I'm, I don't, haven't looked in depth, but more of the cover stuff that I looked at is I feel like there's a hints of Simon Bisley and, and Mobius and not so much Jeff Darrow, but there's little pieces of that. And I'm, when you say that through the image guys, I'm wondering if you're filtering out what they've looked at and taken from those guys, because those are guys that the image guys build on. So it's fascinating to me. (laughs) 100%. I read the ink call from Mobius and Jodorowsky and that whole book is just like visually just every page is mind blowing. The stuff that Mobius is doing on it. And then Simon Bisley is a legend. It's just his, his characters are bigger than life. I am certainly taking many influences from them. And then, and of course, like I, and not in a bad way, but taking through the image guys, because we're all in some ways, we're all originals, but we're also a derivative of something else in, in a lot of cases. And we're just, we're just sucking in just different artists that we see. I hang out with a bunch of comic book artists that are kind of like in my circle. And I tell them all the time, I love watching you draw because I'm stealing stuff from you every time you do something. You, if there's a guy, Cameron Jeffrey, he never draws anything straight on. It's always from an angle. And that was something I needed to put into my work because all of my characters look like cardboard cutouts or something like that. And then just that thing, like I'm always lifting things and making it my own, especially the comic book artist world. We're all taking from somebody that came before us or our peers or whoever they're doing something cool or that's something that inspires you or something like that. And I have certainly taken from Bisley and, and Mobius. Hopefully I'll do some justice to them, but if you recognized it in my work, I take that as the highest possible compliment because those guys are masters. Well, so. I'm fascinated by the whole idea of derivative work in art, whether it's music, whether it's writing, whether it's any, you can apply these kind of ideas to everything because 
at some point you get into, at least for modern comments, it goes back to Jack Kirby, Will Eisner, and those folks, because the medium really didn't exist before that. You could probably say the same thing for rock and roll. It all kind of sure. goes back up to the 50s, and then they borrowed from the blues and what do they call it? The Robert Plant was talking about it down in the Mississippi, that music that Delta came blues. out of there. Delta blues. There's a certain lineage, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing when you take and you try to elevate and you try to take from what works and make it your own. And as long as you're not trying to be somebody else, a clone of somebody else, you're only going to go so far with that idea. And, but if it works for you, you want to be a cover band that does ACDC music and God bless you and you're happy doing it, go for it. But just realize that there's a ceiling that's a lot lower than if you do your own stuff. Oh, definitely. I, as much as I take, and I think all artists take, you still have to be able to draw from life and incorporate that into your work as well. That's same if you're making music, you have to use real emotion and real feeling to go from that feeling to the, to a song or a musical number or whatever. Comic book art is the same way. I think everybody starts out trying to mimic especially at a young age, trying to mimic whatever their favorite artist is. But eventually you do have to find your own voice and you're just kind of taking things here and there. Like currently my favorite artist to really look and see what they're doing in, in the Western world is Mateo Scalera. He drew the Black Science book from Image and it's just incredible. There's so much, it's just got so much raw energy to it. And the way he does spaces and the shots he chooses and the energy of it is just, it's just wild. And then Naoki Urasawa, who did a 20th Century Boys, Monster, Pluto, and that kind of stuff. He's, the way he paces a story, and this is more storytelling, he can set up a page and he controls time, the way everything flow. And that's something that Maybe I wouldn't have recognized 10 years ago when I first started drawing comics again, and I didn't understand that concept. And now I'm starting to recognize it. It's, there's so many elements to it. And then when I, once I feel like I've got a grasp on that, I'll realize something else and I'll have to push to a, push another element of the artistic process and get good at that, hopefully. And hopefully eventually I'll be really good and someone will be saying like, I, KJ Eldridge is the guy that I look at his stuff and I get a bunch from that. That'd be pretty cool. I did Heroes Con a couple of weeks ago and I did a bunch of commissions. And during that, that I did a bunch of commissions of characters I had never drawn before. I had to push myself and I really wanted to make the customers happy. And so I think my art went to another level just during that weekend. And I came back to my tree flower pages I'm working on and I'm like, I need to step my game up. I'm going to have to go back and edit some of this stuff that I've already done because it's not at a level that I think I can hit now. It's a pretty long book, so I'm going to have to do a lot of editing, <laughs> but yeah. it's all part of the process. Do you do those, like your commissions that I, I looked at your Facebook and you were doing actual people that were at the con, you were actually there were people that, I don't know if that was that one or another one, but do you like, do you do it from a picture or do you, were you, do they say, I want this person? I seen that you had some amazing pictures and some of them looked like the actual person. Maybe these people were in costume and that you were just doing the costume person, but are oh. you doing these very fast, aren't you? Relatively fast on some of them. 
mostly, it really just depends on the level that they want. And at this particular convention, I didn't do any likenesses or anything, so it might've okay. been just accidental, <laughs> but a lot of, yeah, I've definitely done my share of cosplayers. It's always interesting when you, I have a, a sign that I put up every once in a while, things get slow, it says quick sketches, 10 bucks or whatever the price is that always attracts attention. And somebody will be more often than not, they'll say, Hey, can you draw me and draw me like this? And I'll be like, I guess so. <laughs> Hope you like what it looks like. I tell them it's a relatively quick sketch. So usually about 30 minutes on something like that. And it's usually about a five by seven postcard size thing at heroes con in Charlotte. I was doing mostly 11 by 17 full on commissions that were a lot more involved. I did a few nine by twelves and that usually it takes quite a bit longer. It's like, that's going to go into a couple hours each. I got a couple of characters from the anime and manga Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And if you know anything about it, the characters are pretty wild. I know a little bit now because I started watching it, but I had no clue who they wanted me to draw. So I was like, Hey, just let me look them up. I need to do some research and figure out what these characters are all about just so I can do them justice when I draw it for them. That's just kind of some of the process. Like, and it, yeah, those big ones take quite a while. Oh, I'd imagine. Are you doing it this in ink or your pencil or how are you doing these? Yep. Pencil. I lay it down, pencil a lot of the, and then the real drawing for me comes out in ink on top of it. But I do a ton of light pencil marks and erasing. I make a lot of mistakes. So when you get a commission from me, there's going to be, I call them ghost lines all over the page. It's, the picture you didn't get. So a buddy of mine used to tell me it's not about how you hang your drywall. It's about how you hide your mistakes. So oh, I think yeah. that's oh. <laughs> along that line. I am ruthlessly trying to critique the stuff that I work on to try to see what is not working and what I can get better at. Do you sit there and look at your work and go, okay, this is what I'm feeling good about. I feel good about the way I pace a story, the way I lay out a page. I'd like to be better at this, or I'd like to be better at that. How do you think about that? Or do you just go, I'm doing this and the next one's going to get better because I'm working on it. A little, all of the above. There are certain things that I think I'm strong at and other things that I think I'm really weak at as I'm drawing. It probably sounds bad, but I don't do a lot of prep work. I just, I like to make the mistakes on the page and and go from there and then hopefully I correct them as I go. But I always try to push my weaknesses, which is like I was saying, like a lot of times the specific example is the way my anatomy is when I draw, especially if you look at the Wolverine book, which is a lot of my earliest stuff, many of the characters are very stiff and the shots that I'm selecting them to be. And I, I think of it in terms of a movie camera. The camera that I pick is a lot of times it would be stationary, direct right in front of you. You're not getting a lot of angles and it's tough to draw like from a different angle. So I've over the years tried to push to where I'm trying different angles, trying to improve my anatomy so that when I do change the angle of an, a drawing, it looks visually, it makes sense. As I'm pushing it, that particular area that I feel like I'm weak in becomes a strength. And that area that I thought I was strong in now becomes a weakness. So now I got to look back at that. And then, and the whole process starts over again. Whereas, oh, I think I can draw texture really well. 
And now when my anatomy gets a little better, my texture isn't as good or my facial acting or something to that effect. And so I'll push that area. And as I go, I just kind of slowly, incrementally get better and better at what I'm doing. And that's kind of the way I approach my art. But the other side of that is at a certain point, you got to put the pencil down or put that page away and move on to the next one. There is a cutoff. I do see if I flip through like the Wolverine book or even Argonautica, there is an evolution in the art and some of the early pages or even the ending pages kind of make me cringe a little bit when I see them because there's stuff I wouldn't have drawn now. A buddy of mine, Josh Hood, he's an artist. He's drawing like Star Trek right now. And he said, you have to move on. Like you have to move on to the next page because that book has to come out at some point. You can't just keep turning that same thing over again. You'll have to eventually get it on the next one. There's a certain level of, of accepting your flaws and also trying to improve them at all times. It's kind of like you're sitting on the edge of a knife blade the whole time trying to figure out what to do. Is, did I answer your question as far oh, as? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing along the lines, I was thinking about, as you was talking about this, one of the things that I'm fortunate in that I get good feedback from people around me. Like I did my first oil painting test because I knew I was going to do a book with some illustrations in it, I knew I was hoping to be able to do oil painting. And I had never worked in the medium before. And I was like, oh, I'd do something. So I do this really quick Batman and I painted it. And I showed it to a group of guys. And Pat was like, it's pretty good, but Batman doesn't have a whole lot of energy with it. And I thought about that. I mean, it was a quick sketch, so I didn't really care about that. But having people that give you good feedback is, I think, invaluable in your work. Do you have people that you have a peer group or stuff that you show pages to and you go, oh, I'm wondering what I'm going to get out of this, but it's going to sharpen you. Yes, most definitely. And as an artist and a writer, and a, you do have to pick your group wisely because, you know, you're vulnerable when you're putting your art out there, especially when you're asking basically to be judged or to be critiqued. And there's a, there's definitely a few people that, like you said, that art group that I hang out with as frequently as I can. We always show each other our stuff and we try to be as honest as possible. Of course, we're supportive. We're cheerleaders for everybody, but also, hey, you could push this here a little bit more or something like that. Iron sharpens iron and all that stuff. My wife is actually pretty good with it. Um, with Tree Flower, I've had to redraw full pages on more than one occasion. And every time I've drawn it better because of maybe I got lazy on something or I just, I didn't push something as much as I should have on a certain page, or I didn't understand the storytelling as well. I definitely have people that are going to be, they're going to tell it to me straight. And sometimes I'm going to ignore them a little bit because I don't want to, for that purpose that you're speaking of, when I did my first novel, I would ask people, Hey, do you have any friends? that are into fantasy or into reading. And do you think that they would read my book and give me honest feedback? They don't know who I am. I don't even tell them my name. Just tell them to be as bluntly honest as possible. And I want to hear the truth. I want to, does this stink or is this working or are these scenes working? And I'd give them a questionnaire that I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but I gave them a questionnaire that they could fill out and be as brutally honest to me about my work as possible. Because my friends, some of them will be honest, but 
I, I think being an anonymous writer attached to this manuscript that I was sending out, it worked a lot better. And I was able to correct some things that maybe I didn't realize that I was, I was slacking on in certain areas with the, with my book. And I think with the art, it's the same way. It's a little harder to disassociate yourself from the art to send it out. But like I said, the, the artists around you, if they can look at it and tear you apart, if you want. I think about that in writing. Sometimes you're so excited to get it to a certain place that this storyline that you want to just, it's the thing that you're like really excited about. Sometimes you ignore some other things that you're giving away something that you shouldn't be or not giving enough information. And I, I'm glad that's a universal feeling that as humans, we share this feeling of accomplishment when it, it's a, it's a cool thing. And it, for a graphic novel or novel, that's a heavy lift. Yes. It, I remember the moment that I, I wrote the last line of the novel or I drew the last, actually it's when I formatted the last page on the graphic novel because <laughs> it, because you have to add in the computer portion of things, but I can remember it very well. It's not quite a celebration, but it's the most amazing like relief. I'd have a show coming up and I want book, a new book to come out for the show. A lot of times that last thing you put on the page, you're sending it directly to the printer that moment. And you just hope to God that you didn't miss something. And then of course you find some mistake that you made and you're like, oh crap. Like I, with Argonautica the first time around, when I sent it to the printer, I missed a whole page. And so I get a big box of Argonautica books with a page missing. Did they cover it or no? They just said, no, nope. <laughs> you, you, it was my mistake. So it wasn't, sure. I, it wasn't anything I could. I'm sure that I don't think they'd be that nice to me. <laughs> no. Yeah. You were just, uh, that's, I, I think that is something that a lot of people don't understand about being the writer, editor, everything of it. That's why you have to have other people check it. But even then it's really hard to catch it all. I have a friend that writes, she now has people that proofread for story, proofread for grammar, proofread for pacing. She has a team of people that help her write these books. And she's an amazing author and she's been on the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm thinking, and you, ha of course you have to wrangle these people too, but it's just, man. And I, you think about like Johnny Carson or Conan O'Brien, they're not writing those jokes anymore. Michelangelo, he didn't paint the whole Sistine Chapel. He just painted the big parts. You know, so yeah. you have a team, it's awesome. But when you're by yourself, it is sometimes it's a very lonely job. And it's, it seems like it never ends. That's the other thing. <laughs> There's always something. And in the, in the few moments when you, here's a horror story for everyone that, out there that's thinking of writing their own book. So I, I finished the last nights. I had already had it published for a number of years, but I, I wanted to add some stuff to it because it never felt finished to me. Of course, I decided to add in a bunch of things, write some more stuff. And I hired an editor to fix everything for me, go through and make sure it bring it up to a higher level. And she did an amazing job, right? And I got it back and I, I decided, you know what? It needs a little more in the front. So I wrote about, I don't know, maybe 10 more pages that added it onto the front of the book because I just felt like it opened too fast. And I was like, right, let me just write that write this. It'll be good. I'm not too worried. I'll edit it myself. I'm not going to send it off to her. She's done a great job. So I had it 
it's printed up. It's got her name on it as the editor. I sold it for about a year and I just happened to look through it because I was doing an audiobook thing with it. And I realized on page two, there's some just horrific grammar and just word usage. It's just, it's like nails on the chalkboard that on page two, and it's got her name so big as the editor on the front. And I'm like, I called her. I was like, I'm so sorry. I should have sent this to you. And so these books are in circulation and yeah, you, and you look terrible. I apologize. So stuff like that can happen if you, even if you have a team and if you try to do everything yourself. And so I fixed it and sent it and it's, it should be mostly correct. Now I would say I'm going to try not to mess with it. Maybe I'll put a new cover on it eventually when book two finally comes out. But uh, yeah, so that's a horror story for, if you're a self-published, you do everything yourself. Like that kind of stuff happens all the time. And at a certain point, like I said, you send it off into the world and you're just, you're kind of exhausted. So you're like, I don't want to look at it again for a long time. And then you find out you blew up the second page or you missed a page in the book or, or you back to the drawing board on it. But so there you go. That's a horror story. Yeah, that's scary. I'm not saying that something similar hasn't happened, but Luckily, most of our stuff right now is digital, which is, I love because especially on Amazon, if you make a change that anybody that's bought it, they're going to send a message and, Hey, we have a new update. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they think, Oh, I'm getting something new, some more stuff. It's kind of so. like the app store every other, every week you get a new update. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this version right here. Get it now. Yeah. Download it now. My final question is. Obviously, you write and you draw. Which do you feel most comfortable with doing and which do you think you're stronger at this point? I enjoy writing more than I enjoy drawing. The drawing, I like the process of drawing. Like the drawing feels like you're, if you're drawing every day, it feels like you're punching the clock. You're going to draw for a certain amount of time and you're, you're the craftsmanship of it. It feels very tangible, but I get the biggest buzz from writing. I write a scene that really works out for me. I'm in the moment, like I'm in the scene that's happening, whether it's comic book script, whether it's prose, I enjoy that the most. So am I better at it? I think I am, but it mo might just come from the enjoyment. I guess I'm, I'm a better writer than I am an artist, but art is easier to put in front of you. So most people would know me more as an artist because it's more quantifiable and you can see it. I love them both, but writing is definitely the one that, like I said, it gives me the, I get the most jazzed up when I'm in the process of researching for something where, I, whether I'm in the writing something or I do a scene, like I'm more likely to put an all nighter in writing because I'm excited and drawing all night, even though I've done way more all night drawing sessions. I'm more excited about doing all night. Right. Ask, ask me tomorrow. I'll tell you something different. <laughs> but it seems like you and your wife are having a really good time writing tree flower. It sounds like you're getting closer together and it's been a great exercise. Just like you said, it started out as a marriage exercise and it sounds like that's been part of what it is. Has it led to any other ideas, stories that maybe your wife's written or you've written that you want to continue? I know that my understanding right now is tree flower is written. Yes. But it's just 
you needs to finish the artwork. Yes. She is already in the process of writing a sequel. But I told her with this, I have one stipulation on it is we're going to put it out in issues so that I can have something coming out. And that's not like a two or three year process before we get a book out. Cause I like to draw other things. So that was my only stipulation. We're going to put it out in the issue format and in pieces versus this one, which is probably going to be about 160 pages or so. And we're past the halfway point, of it, but I still have to go back through and color it and do all that kind of stuff and letter it. Yeah. It it's locked in. It's an offshoot of my last night's universe set in the same world. So anything last night's related is now can be referred a little bit to tree flowers. So if you're a fan of that, or you're a fan of last night's, you can find some enjoyment in both. You don't have to read both if you're not into it, but it gives you more of that, that universe. I love that idea. I think that's great. I will say this though, 160 pages of panels and color and text. You're freaking crazy. I'm telling you, you are nuts. That is a lift, dude. I never do anything short. Like my first, (laughs) the first thing I wrote and published was like 500 pages. So I just, I guess I like to take on insane things and something's wrong with me. That's great to have epic ideas. One thing I really liked about your site is it also has your acting. Now, I don't know if it's just to do your stuff, your scripts or other people's scripts. I know that you'd have a Wolverine one and a Christmas story, a short film, and you've got some different things. Are you pursuing any acting? It's kind of an interesting story. A bunch of us from college up in Augusta, Georgia, we would get together and make short films. And a lot of them moved out to Atlanta and have kind of went off into Hollywood, including Chris, who wrote Wolverine. Like he works in Hollywood now. And wow. If you looked at the, the Christmas movie and, and the Wolverine movie that's on there, I'm pretty sure they're both on there. Yeah. Nate Perry is also in Hollywood. If you look for his name, you'll probably be like, holy crap. These are like real people that do big things. So I, every once in a while, I, I pop into some of their stuff or, and through them, I can do like voices. So they'll bring me in to do stuff, to do voice work on things and just odd stuff. I've helped people with scripts, like movie scripts and just odd jobs in the film world. Like some of my highest paying artistic gigs have been film related, which is kind of fun, but nothing you've ever heard of. Trust (laughs) me, Hollywood pays a little more than independent self-publishing sometimes. But George is the Hollywood of the South. I keep telling my wife, I'm going to work out a little bit more and I'm going to become an action hero. Maybe like I could be like the rock sidekick or something. There you go. Got to shoot for it, man. They all live around me now. Like I live in Atlanta. They're all can bump into them at the grocery store and be like, Hey, I need a part in your movie. Watch my uh, Christmas movie. I did. Here's, here's my reel. Yeah. Handing out reels and stuff. That that's awesome. I'd be the comic relief in a movie, so I don't really want to do movies right now. Comic relief is the best. KJ, I think we're, we're running out of time. It's been a blast talking to you, catching up and finding out what's going on. I want to say two things. First, 
thanks for your service. I was in the Navy too. And I know that it's uh, sometimes it's not the easiest thing in the world, but I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad you did too. I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah. Thank you for your service as well. Sure. Thank you. (laughs) And I also want to say, I'm glad you're on the mend. I'm glad you're good. And hopefully you stay that way. Super talented guy. I would love to see you keep continuing. I want to read tree flower when it's done. I've liked your other stuff. So looking forward to more stuff from you, man. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to sending it off into the world and have people poke holes in it. (laughs) Well, if somebody wants to find you, it's kjeldridgeworlds.com. Is that correct? That is correct. And you can find all of my social media links on there. And if if you want to know about the New York Knicks, Southern Hicks talking New York Knicks. So, yep, me and my brother had a podcast that went for quite a few years and we haven't had an episode basically since my middle daughter was born. We haven't had an episode since then. So, (laughs) if you want to hear about, about 2016 New York Knicks basketball, that is the place to go. Very good. KJ, this has been a blast. Well, hopefully down the road, especially when tree flower comes up, definitely contact me. We can talk about that. And when it gets close, give me a, give me a holler. Cause I'd love to talk about it with you. All right. Thank you very much. KJ. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And you have a good evening. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Norbert. Thank you guys very much for having me on and I'm Look forward to talking to you guys again. Absolutely. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late.